Welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Elder Scrolls Legends. This episode is sponsored by Team Rankstar and Inked Gaming. Visit TeamRankstar.com for all the latest Tesla news and visit Inked Gaming and use the code TRS12 to get 12% off your next order of customized gaming gear. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, episode number 11. I am your host, Mark Lotz, and Legends Cast is a podcast about the Elder Scrolls Legends. It is about the cards, it's about the community, it's about the meta of the game. And I'm here on episode 11 with two uh, fantastic guests um, and someone who's really kind of become more co-host than guest now. Um, I have with me uh, this evening Dead Broke Nerd um, and also uh, Meta Report extraordinaire uh endozoa with me this evening um let's start with you endozoa endozoa how are you doing man i'm doing pretty well thanks mark how are you doing oh look at that that, that was right <laughs> back i i'm doing good that was quick and right back dead broke nerd how are you doing brother oh uh well now that the precedent is set that i should be quick i'm gonna spend five minutes uh no i'm i'm doing great i'm really excited to be back i love doing this man also like you pick uh such excellent guests uh when when mark you know says hey i'm gonna do an episode with uh this person do you want to be on it it gets really hard to say no (laughs) despite how busy i can be uh and uh yeah so i'm i'm excited to be here with uh with mark and alex yeah yeah and Endozo, you just put out um, a, a pretty big meta report for uh, Team Rank Star. Um, and uh, tell us, just tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, what you what you do for the the Elder Scrolls community, how you're involved. Sure. Um, so I've been playing Tessels since uh, 2017, the summer. So when Heroes of Skyrim came out, it was right around when I started. Um, and I started playing semi-competitively in, like, uh, ESL cups, uh, in that fall, um, and started putting up decent results right away, uh, kept chugging along and, uh, qualified for Masters the following year in 2018, um, put up a ton of good work money results, uh, almost qualified again this year, finished 15th overall, um, and beyond tournament play, uh, I'm a coach, so I spend a lot of time working with people on improving themselves in a number of different areas, but related to the game. Um, and also, I write articles about the game uh, from time to time. Yeah, you're you're all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're all yeah, you're all I over the place. I try to be. Yeah, yeah, certainly a name that I've seen sort of come up over and over again. And do you are you a streamer as well? Do you stream? Legends? Yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> Uh, wow. Not quite as regularly as um, some people. I kind of go in spurts. Um, but when I feel up, when I have time and I'm feeling more up to doing it regularly, I do enjoy it. Um, mm. Yeah, so I try to be have that as another outlet for educational content. Yeah, great. Well, Dead Broke Nerd, I mean, your your weekend in Tesla has been interesting because you also just released a big article. Um, this one in kind of uh, maybe a slightly different spirit, though. You want to tell us a little about the article that you just put out for uh, Rankstar? 
Yeah, so, I mean, to preface it, um, I am on Team Rank Stars' content team, uh, separate from the competitive team. So sure. when Endo writes things, people listen. And when I write things, <laughs> people laugh. Uh, <laughs> so, Endo, so, you you're part of Team Rank Stars on their competitive team. The, Is that the, what, tournament, the tournament team. Yeah. The, tor- the tournament team. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so when Indo writes things, it's uh, it's uh, taken a lot more seriously. But no, uh, I tend to write things. I I don't write as much as I should, but it's because I feel, and maybe I'll deviate from this at some point. But I feel like if I'm going to write an article uh, for Elder Scrolls Legends, I feel it should be of substance in some way. Um, sure. I don't I don't like just clickbait. Um, and yeah. despite sometimes people getting mad at me for not putting out more content uh i i feel like i need to actually have a reason to write something uh and the there's no better reason to write something than to dish on the card that you hate uh as i'm sure most people know right it's Uh, no it's no secret of a specific card that you don't love yeah oh 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 no i mean anybody who's talked to me about tessel knows how much i despise hallowed death priest so it was a real joy a joy (laughs) a pleasure To get to write an entire article, I had to. I actually had to um, message Laser, who is the um, the I guess editor and you know organizer of all that. I say, hey, am I allowed to write an article dishing on a card, uh, or is that too negative? And he's like, just be respectful. <laughs> what does it even mean? <laughs> I think we totally it, but I made it. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, it was just the different reasons why I feel that uh, Hello Death Priest is of poor design and um, is actually. <laughs> is actually kind of bad for the game in my opinion uh sure Sure. i mean i don't know if there's something that is is a a deeper attack than to say that a card is of poor design i mean yep that that right like i I feel like that's the difference between like for you to say like this card is bad and it sucks is like my dad is a child like telling me he's angry with me to say that a card is of poor design is the equivalent of my father saying he's disappointed in me right well here's the good news uh sparky pants didn't design it um that's true that's so you're really dishing on a designer that doesn't I mean, even design yeah, the game what anymore. i'm dishing on more importantly is that sparky pants uh should delete it, Get <laughs> uh, rid of it. uh or well no i i actually say I, I don't think it should be deleted i think it should be you know reworked i think yeah. it should, i mean they have the ability to do it um i think that a rework would be elegant i think rework also fits frankly really nicely into their kind of push of the undead synergies and wanting to kind of do some fun stuff in that direction for, you know, kind of role players or, you know, people that like the memes or want to make, you know, tribal decks and stuff like that, which they've shown they want to give you tools for. I say, hey, he's a skeleton. You know, you could do some cool stuff with that or consume, which fits right in. So I kind of gave some options at the end of just theoretically proposed changes. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Endo thinks, but... Oh, yeah. I, I I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but um, do you, can can you briefly sum up like why why you think it's a poorly designed card? Yeah, so I mean, in short, I think that there's not enough ways to play around it. I think that the type of things that it like so it's designed to, um, you know, kind of punch someone in the face before they can even hit the board, which I think is not in fitting with the design core design philosophy of Tesla being a board based game. Uh, Mm -hmm. I also think that frankly, a card that is um, so easy to play yet punishes thoughtful play in terms of when you play a card from your hand, when you do something like that, I think is in, um, I don't think it really upholds the competitive integrity of the game. 
and I mm -hmm. also frankly think that a card that is so blazingly unfun is bad for the game in and of itself um, because I think it pushes out creativity and innovation, combo decks, um, and even just Timmy's who want to play Kyle Grunteed. You know what I mean? Um, hey, and I hey, 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 whoa. Does that mean I'm someone named Timmy now who got his call guarantee to turn into a shriveled mummy like at least three times over the past couple of weeks? You see my point. Uh, I think that like that turns off enough of the player base that I think that in and of itself should merit consideration for changing it. Um, so all those things, both competitive and casual side of things, I just don't think it, I don't think it belongs. It's not fun, I think, is the... The, the, the some, I think the summary of that is is that like due to the uninteractive nature and the inability to play around it, and also well, I don't think it's concerned at all. Like, right, I, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. But that's not that's oftentimes that's not what's the most important. I was talking about that in comments in the snapshot that there are some things right now that are very powerful, but people aren't complaining about them very much because. They are fun. On Reddit, yeah, you had a great response. Uh, I read, was reading that a second ago, actually, about how even though like Alfik is really strong and kind of meta warping, it's actually encouraging really enjoyable or generally considered enjoyable gameplay. Yeah. And I, I love. Mm. I actually don't have an issue with Alfik. I kind of, I like the. I don't even hate seeing my opponent play it. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, see, like, I think that for me, you know, Alfique as a card is a problem for the game, um, not because of, of necessarily what it does, but because of um, the way in which it drives so many decks to play blue. Um, and I've been intentionally playing decks that don't run blue just because 90% of the decks that I play against right now on the ladder typically are Battle Mage or some variant of Battle Mage. Um, and I don't, uh, you know, it may be for the competitive scene, that's not the case, um, but at least for playing on the ladder, it's kind of like, well, okay, this has become very, very samey for me um, over the past couple of weeks. And, and that will probably wane over time, right? I mean, the the, the meta, the, the ladder grabs hold of it, it sticks with it for a little while until there's something else that's popular and it will shift back and forth. Um, over time. Yeah, I mean, I think the the impact of Alfique as far as, like, pushing people to play blue can be a somewhat overstated. Like, obviously, it is very impactful, but I think I think there's this gut reaction, like, it in and of itself is driving that, and I think there are a lot of core cards uh, for the game that have existed, like, since the base set um, that are in that color that can do that. Like, I think of, like, Herpy and Wordcrafter. Mm -hmm. um, and I think... You know, in in general, I think you can kind of point at any color and and say, okay, like you have to have a reason to not be in X color or to be in Y color, and uh, it's all kind of response to one another. I don't know. Um, Alfie obviously does drive that, but it's not like a sole factor. Yeah, and so do you kind of have a feel right now. The meta is in a pretty good place. You like what's going on with what we have in Elder Scrolls right now. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of layers to what can happen with the meta. Um, I think, you know, as the competitive community works on it more, I do have some fear about more kind of Rocky Paper Scissors matchups because, um, like, the main weakness of the board grind blue decks is yellow aggro. Mm -hmm. um, and that matchup tends to be quite poor, particularly for, like, um, like Sorcerer. Uh, I think Battle Mage, you can tech it more to even it out. Now, when um, you're talking about yellow aggro, you are talking about some, some like, token variants, right? Generally, but it doesn't have to be, like, 
when we talk, when we say tokens, generally that means like uh, resolute allied decks. Mm-hmm. Um, so like 50 card, you know, air quotes, mono yellow decks. Um, mm-hmm. But it also applies to aggro Rhetoran, um, aggro uh, Empire. Yeah, I mean, well, Crusader generally, most of the competitive community thinks that, that mono yellow is kind of premier. I mean, there's there's some disagreement around that. There's a number of top players who prefer the hybrid version, um, even some that like mono red. But, um, but yeah, I mean, really just I'm talking about any any go-wide aggro deck, um, regardless of... Yeah, I'm talking about 5th Legion Trainer Divine Fervor decks, regardless whether they're Resolute Ally decks or not. Mm, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I actually have a question, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. uh, Mark. Yeah, so we'll, while we're talking about the meta, uh, I was you know, re-perusing the snapshot uh, and noticed that for the first time, I think, in forever... Uh, Halalu is not represented in your report. I would love to hear your thoughts on where Halalu is, considering it was a mainstay for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really fallen off quite a bit. Um, and I think you can kind of, I think going in the tank on exactly what's causing that um, can be a little tricky. Uh, I think there's a number of factors. For one, in general, I think red aggro um is weaker right now than it's been in a very long time largely because um action-based control is almost non-existent uh, at least in tournament play if you play on ladder you're still going to see a lot of traditional control tribunal um some control talvani that kind of thing but basically like a way to look at it is that like at least in tournament play there's almost zero ice storms being played right now um which mm. ge- which generally would seem like a boon um, that would give room for a lot of the token decks to rise up. Um, but I think when it comes to a lot of the, the decks that lean on Witherdan Cultist as a power point, um, that the, the, uh, the reduction in that card's significance has uh, really impacted their overall place in the meta. Um, it, it used to be, like uh, last year, um, TRS did like an individual cards in the game power ranking. We had Witherdan Cultist at number two. And right now, like I'm not sure it makes the top ten, maybe even the top twenty, and that's largely because of where the meta is. Mm. Um, that's interesting because I've I've been playing with a hand cultist in a handful of different decks and, and experimenting with it was doing it in a red or red deck today, and there were occasional matchups where it worked well, but I found that there are way way more decks sort of like playing to the board and competing for the board mm-hmm. um, than there there was historically before there was a lot of decks that sort of like well we're not we're not really competing for the board because on turn six we're just going to clear the board and then we're going to try to turn that around after turn six and I'm I'm seeing a lot less of that now and I think the harpy the ward crafter um even the uh, what the the ally that's the blue ally um cunning ally yeah cunning ally um all of those cards you're seeing um a, a lot more play uh and with those cards they can sort of battle for the board against that against that uh, withered hand cultist a lot better than than maybe what some of those decks historically have been able to do yeah and so beyond cultist i think another really important um, thing to mention is that Falu historically has been an extremely high value aggro deck and so um, one of the ways that it uh, was frequently winning for instance in the aggro mirror it was not too uncommon to see Falu actually just play control um, mm. and it can't really do that anymore and a lot of that is because um, or it can't do that against a lot of the more proactive blue strategies because 
I will get overwhelmed with pressure. It doesn't have strong enough reactive tools to be able to play against uh, the, the ward-based aggro decks. Um, and it's not actually as good at racing as many other yellow aggro decks, um, mm. which can be a little bit counterintuitive again, because yes, it's green, so it has Mornhold Trader. Uh, yes, it's red, so it has charges. Um, yes, it's yellow, so it has the board wide buffs. Um, but it's racing tools still, I mean, it, it's, it can kind of 50-50 against, you know, big goth, even sorcerer. Like when I talk about the um, yellow aggro decks being a weakness of sorcerer, I'm not sure follows even in that question, even like particularly, I mean, it's, it's going to be a 50-50 matchup, which is a bad matchup for sorcerer given this matchup spread, but uh, it's not a particular, it's just not a particularly strong racing deck uh, compared to many others in the game right now, I don't think. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, uh, interesting because, you know, Sorcerer is a deck that I've, I've always really wanted to work well, and I haven't really found w- what I've found to be like a, a good Sorcerer deck since Moons, and I, I got to experiment with the one that you posted out there because you really feel that Sorcerer is one of the strongest decks right now out that you can be playing. Yeah, um, I really tried to convince uh, Tom, super thanks, uh, to play Sorcerer at QuakeCon. Uh, I still think it was a mistake that he didn't. Um, although obviously like personal preference matters a lot and just what he's comfortable with. So I, am not going to discredit that. And I think it made sense too, for his side, for his side of the bracket at that particular tournament, there were, uh, he was in a control heavy, uh, control heavy half of the bracket. And so I think playing with their cultist decks made sense. Mm. Um, so like he played Dagoth over Sorcerer at that event. Um, but I, I do think that Sorcerer was very underrepresented at QuakeCon, and I think in general it's one of the most dominant decks in the game. Um, I think it's very format warping. I think it is, like, I mean, I, if you looked at my personal ratings, I, I put it as kind of tied for number two with Midrange Tribunal. I, I think it's, for for me, it, it there's a, like, it's right up there with MBM. Like, I, I think it's, yeah, it's certainly just on a raw power level, matchup spread into mm. basically everything. Um, yeah, yeah, it's in a crazy spot, and a lot of that isn't isn't just because of moons. Um, a lot of that comes. I think the the, the most important change uh, was from uh, Isles of Madness. Uh, okay, Skin, skin Town is the is is huge. It yeah, changes it changes the way card. it changes the way the deck plays completely because previously. Uh, a lot of the it doesn't it doesn't get raced uh, by the yellow aggro decks nearly as well as before, largely because of that card. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, and that card's kind of been traded more as a tech card um, than it it probably is. It's 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 a really really strong card. DBM, you've been playing around with sorcerer some, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I actually was um, talking to somebody in the. Uh, Legends Cast Discord, everybody. You can go and join the fun on the Legends Cast Discord page. Everybody uh, who has been on the show jumps in there and talks about fun stuff. Don't forget to join. Anyways, oh, I was talking was, to somebody. What a, what a plug. Uh, well, you know. Uh, I was talking to somebody on there. Uh, I think, God, who is it now? Now I'm going to feel bad if I don't say his name. Um, but, is it uh, Beefquake? Was, it is Beefquake. That's it. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, and he had posted a version of a modified version of Indo's list and asked for someone to look at it. And I looked at it and I kind of gave some feedback on it and reminded him that it looked like he'd accidentally put uh, a few too many cards in the list. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, that's, that's no, it's okay. Uh, 
and not to not to throw him under the bus because uh, it's actually a really productive uh, conversation on in my opinion, because that made me try it. So I, I literally just played like an hour ago. I played five games on the ladder with it. Um, and I changed a couple things from Indos list because I am, I, I have, a, I can't stop myself from making changes. Uh, they're probably in changes. Uh, but anyways, I did make changes. Um, I don't like Abner Thorn. I just cut him. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> Um, that, that, that literally just got you laughed at, actually. No, I, I just it's okay. Like it's okay. Oh, God, I, I, I just don't like Abner. Like, I recognize it's good. I just is, don't is like Is this it. like a Hollow Death Freeze thing where you're like, I don't like that the card's no, no, in the no, game. No, I'm going to no, not play it because, like, I don't have an issue with... makes me mad. Oh, no. I I feel like I, I've run into so many situations where I see and I have Abner and I don't have a good way to play it outside of a 5-5 five, five stats. Um, and so I ended How? up... I, I don't know, man. It's happened enough that I haven't had... that, And so I put a Shadowfin in uh, instead to hopefully remove some guards and stuff like that. And actually, Shadowfin did did well. Um, yeah, but, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was really good. I mean, the only game I lost was to mid-BM, and then I lost a really dumb Prophecy game because prophecies still do that sometimes. Um, yeah, every now and then. But you know, I mean, it kind of stomped everything else. I was like, man, I I was this wasn't really on my radar. Um, granted, I I have been unable to watch the last couple warp metas, and that's been unfortunate. I wanted to play in them, man, but I keep getting scheduled for work on Sundays. Hmm. Well, you know, this week in in Tessel, uh, was, I was I was like really really frustrated over the past month or so. I I finally pushed to legend with a um uh, uh, uh empire deck. No, I'm sorry, not empire, uh, dominion deck. Um, and I played uh, Kyle Grantid, um, and just a lot of a lot of like anti mid range, anti ward. I basically played anti ward. I played everything that can run curse and give minus minuses for the most part, and uh. And then ran some some pretty classic control stuff, and then some tall dragons at the end with Call Grunted, um, and some some control blue cards, and it worked phenomenally well. Pushed me into Legend. Um, it's not actually a great deck. It, it loses to every other control deck. Basically, if you're a control deck and you play purple, my deck loses to it um, because I just don't have the late game that they do. I, if I don't have Call Grunted on turn eleven or twelve, and then I can turn the game with some undying dragons and just a lot of pressure right at the end. Um, but what I found is the the Shackle Dragon, like the Ice Wing or the ice breath dragon or whatever it is it's the the new legendary six mana four five uh, legendary dragon that uh, deals two damage to a creature when it enters play and uh, every creature that's damaged by a dragon gets shackled from that point on um i have found that i really really like that card a lot more than i thought i was going to um and Kalgrantid with that card gave me a lot of a lot of board control that i didn't expect to have towards the end of the game and um it's not it's not fantastic but it does crush just about anything that wants to to aggro you um and th- that's been a lot of fun to play because i was really getting frustrated of losing to like aggro and token variants and, and, and death priest uh what was that <laughs> And death, priest. and death priest <laughs> well did you did you did you notice did you notice the little um like the easter egg it's not so much an easter egg that i left for you but when we recorded an episode with um bradford lee a couple episodes ago the graphic that i used to say episode number nine with bradford lee and dead broke nerd was on hollow death priest that was the artwork that i used for the episode when i announced it i didn't even notice that yeah i, I <laughs> left so- 
mean? <laughs> I, I put I put that out. I won't put this one on right. Hollow Death Priest. I That's I good. promise. I promise. So, uh, as uh, I want to get back to talking a little bit about, um, this meta report that you put out. And I think probably in a moment, I'll have you just run down some of the decks that you have on it, but can you tell us, because I think most people they they try to get a handle on the meta and they can't like, they don't, they, it's like hard to know why isn't, why is suddenly withered hand cult is not good anymore. Like it was so good for so long. And now I can't seem to get any traction with it, for example. Um, what goes into your head? Because you you think on a different level or in a different way than other players that allows you to really thoroughly understand the meta um, and be able to say like, okay, this deck is 0.5 better than the, you know, this other deck or um, this deck is tier one, this deck is tier two. Um, yeah, can you walk us through a little bit of that? I think some of the numbers there, I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's completely arbitrary because obviously it's not, but I think it's worth noting that uh, the competitive community's understanding of the game compared to the degree to which it's possible to understand the game is effectively zero. Um, and so while you know we can definitely uh, classify things and categorize them and rate them, I, I'm not. I don't want to make some claim that I have some really granular understanding of the minutia of exactly what's good and what's not. Um, and we're going to continue. The meta will continue to evolve. Uh, last year, we had basically no expansions from Houses of, Houses of Morrowind in like March or something, and we had there was uh, Frostbark in the fall, but up until January, there were no real expansions, and the meta still just from more meta tournaments evolved tremendously over that entire period, and decks changed a lot, and like we were still all there were still things we were trying out. So I think the game is always going to be in flux. Um, but I would say that generally, like you know, the I think I think a lot of it has to come down to um, more broad the like, categorization and lumping things, right? There's too many pieces of minutia to really try to like individually add up all the components of what's relevant in the game and and you know solve that equation. So it's a lot of educated guessing, um, and we're looking at more archetypal stuff. Ar- archetypal. A word. <laughs> it, can, it can be. It's a, it's a word on this podcast. Uh huh. Um. But so I mean, like specifically the Withered and Cultist thing, right? Like that's a direct reaction to just like what categories of decks are seeing play. So if the control decks are evolving in a way where they're becoming more proactive and board based, and therefore less action based, well, that's a, it's a one to one. You know, that's a direct connection. You can see that Withered and Cultist specifically is talking about actions. So therefore, if there are less action-based control decks, then it is worse. Um, I think if you want to talk about you know, why, why in a broad sense, uh, board-based control decks started to come into play, and well, well before Alfie Conjure, why Tribunal started to become more of a mid-range deck, that's another discussion entirely and a lot more complex. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. The game is extremely complicated. It's hard to get into i've got to imagine to a certain extent what the purpose of a meta report is is to make this highly complicated formula simplified and accessible so that people actually can because because i got to imagine like none of this is really useful like the meta report cannot be useful for any of the people that you that you ask to judge it like it's it's probably pointless right but it's for people looking to learn the meta or relearn it in case of stepping aside from it for a time right like 
so it's a relevant I, discussion point, and I think that we all value seeing each other's opinions. And I think, you know, I, I value too that there, you know, there's some people who didn't vote who I respect a lot who have very different opinions, and that's valuable too. And I think it's like, you know, to be clear to say, like, there's some things that aren't on the snapshot that, you know, two or three months from now we could decide are really good. Like, there's this, uh, like, uh, control monk that's that's using like moon synergy and also like the support synergy package with yeah. like. And like, mm-hmm. you know, like running around that I think might be a really good anti-control deck, but it's like totally not in the competitive community, like, or the competitive community is experimenting with it, but, you know, it's not something that's really established. So uh, I think we're, you know, we're still kind of figuring out exactly what all the top, you know, what the top things are. But I think you're right that for the community at large, what we're trying to do is provide a frame of reference um, that you can then use to branch off from and try to explore more of the specifics. Not to get on a rabbit trail, but that deck that summons an infinite amount of wolves is the worst. That's that that monk support deck that just keeps summoning wolves. Spirit. Never stops summoning wolves. Just like, I, I played four ice storms in one game, still lost to that deck. Hated it the whole time. Was just angry the whole time I was playing against it. Yeah, decks um, like that are yet another reason why traditional control is not doing very well right now, and why proactive win conditions are a necessity, which is part of the discussion about why control decks have been pushed more down to mid range. Mm, interesting. So uh, I guess kind of what I'm asking is, um, Endo is like when you when you say, okay, I'm gonna make a meta report on the Elder Scrolls Legends. You're doing more than just making a hunch you're doing more than just playing 10 games on each deck um you're gathering information from the community are you are you running things through equations and running algorithms to come up with like okay this is the best or is it just like okay from the people that i'm talking to the i'm I'm having them all send me in their votes on these decks and this is what it averaged out to yeah i mean for for you know the way we've been doing snapshots that's literally what it is is we have everybody vote one to ten and we average them and see what comes out and it's just again, it's more of a way to start the discussion. Um, mm-hmm. Again, and I'm and I want to make clear that I don't think that there's any kind of empirical spec. Like it, it's not that there's no. I think these these numbers are um, conceptual more than they are directly equating to anything specific. Like they're not directly equating. Like you can't. Like it's not like a deck that receives a six and a deck that receives a nine. Like the like. The deck that receives a nine is not 150% as effective as the deck that receives a six, right? Sure. It's it's more of just like a it's a talking point and it's a way of trying to generate ranking in a way that's meaningful. Um, as far as you know how we're arriving at our ranking, I mean I think that there's a lot that goes into that, I mean, and a lot of it's based on our personal experiences as players, you know, for long periods of time, um, but also with our specific experiences more recently. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to identifying what we think the most powerful things you can be doing in a vacuum are. So what I would consider like level one of a format, um, uh, which are just, you know, what are the, if you look at all the cards, like what are the things that independent of what other decks exist are, are just independent, independently really powerful and really strong players can identify those things. Um, and then trying to look at what the things are, like how other decks, inter- how, th- how other strategies interact with those. Uh, hmm. And that's like the primary thing we're doing. Uh, I think with this meta snapshot, because we were just doing the top 10 decks, a lot of the decks we're listing were largely just kind of those level one archetypes, um, not as many of kind of like the the counter archetypes. Um, but there's sure. still some that snuck in there for sure. Yeah, there's a there's a couple. Um, 
I just I just find the whole thing really interesting. Um, you know, somebody who's like, I don't really understand how you come up with what the meta is or or how you determine that. And it does seem like in Elder Scrolls Legends, unlike some other card games, um, it seems to be a little bit more fluid. Um, yeah, it's not it's not very defined. And I mean, I think part of that comes down to the fact that, you know, if you compare Elder Scrolls Legends to something like Magic or Hearthstone, we don't have the prize pools to uh, create enough incentive for people to, you know, really, really get it down um, and we have some really dedicated players who are really interested in figuring these things out and yeah there's still some money to be made um but there's just not quite as much manpower down to like really uh figure it out um i think in general too though t- one thing that's important to note is um because a tesla has so many different color combinations you can play uh there's 20 of them and also because uh, i actually think the game is I mean, one of the reasons I play the game so much is I do think it's very well designed and uh, the card pool in particular, I think is very well designed and the power level is pretty flat overall compared to basically any other CCG I've played. Um, and what that means is that there's just a lot of things that are all kind of right bo- on the borderline of being competitively viable. Um, and so when you have, a, and so when, yeah, when power level is closer to, uh, when the power level of cards are, closer together uh, there's just are more viable things you can be doing mm. very interesting yeah that's really interesting i think that's really helpful for the community at large because i mean uh, uh, there's a whole lot of people who just play this game right they don't they don't think about it all the time they're not like processing it all the time and in a meta report there's a lot that goes on in the background of that and like what that means and what that looks like because for most people they're just like oh my gosh i didn't know this was a good deck i'm gonna try to build this deck oh holy cow i kind of have the cards for this deck i guess i'll throw this deck together and a meta report is just like i've been trying to figure out what will work and i can't find anything that will work and now I know that one of these decks will work. And I think for a lot of people, that's kind of what a meta report is. Um, but it is a lot deeper and, and there is a lot more complexity to it than uh, I think what the average person goes to the meta report to use it for. For sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of people are just going to be like looking for a deck to play that is going to get them a high win rate. And, you know, the things that we say we think are kind of the level one of the format are, you know, are we think that for a reason. Um and people can just, you know, take a deck list and probably, you know, l- learn it and just keep working on it and do pretty well on it. Um, but obviously, yeah, there's a lot of systemic things about other decks in the game that contribute to that beyond just, you know, power in a vacuum. Because, well, a vacuum doesn't really exist in a CCG. So tell us, um, then, where can someone find it? Because if they're like, oh, okay, I've heard a lot about this meta report now, but I have no clue where to find it. Where could where could I find it if I'm a listener? Um, yeah, so the meta report that I wrote uh, for August, and I also have some meta reports for older or for prior months, if you're interested in looking at back at some of those. I have a lot of articles that are not meta reports as well. Uh, can be found on teamrankstar.com. Uh, DBN, Ian, who's also here right now, also publishes articles there. And we put articles out for a number of other games as well. So basically, if you play a CCG, it's, we probably have some articles out about it. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah, and that's where we can also find uh, DBM. We can find your your latest article on uh, the negative impact of Hollow Death Priest. <laughs> Indeed. And you know what? And no, I don't need you laughing at me every time. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it is you a know, the thing bad is, card. I do, I do want to stress, like, I... There... 
it wasn't just a whim that made me want to write about no, death priest. I agree with you in a lot of ways. I, I'm having a, a more of a nervous giggle than like a the idea is ridiculous giggle. I I, I, I think that there are some negative in, impacts in the game from a perspective of even just feeling or an enjoyment for the average player for sure. And that and we've seen over time that oftentimes you know cards have been adjusted or you know received nerfs more because of the impact they have on the enjoyability of the game than the actual like you know win rate of a certain deck oh a hundred percent i mean it's it's just funny that like i've played a lot of card games and this is this has become over the last i don't know year the most hated card i've ever played against amongst all the games like it's just been it's an insta tilt for me these days like I could be having an amazing time streaming. Have you played Magic? Yeah. Uh, no, and there's there's a reason for that. Have you played Eternal? Um, uh, no, also that. Did you play yeah. in the Shutterwalk meta of Hearthstone? Yes, I did, and I <laughs> I, I did, and uh, maybe you know, honestly, Hollow Death Priest was worse for me. Um, the thing I also play a lot of obscure card games. <laughs> Like you know, <laughs> Wait, L5R, right? L5R and yeah. versus system, and mm-hmm. yeah, but um, yeah, but you yeah. know, you're someone who it seems like you enjoy uh, like two players, uh, like solitaring on each other more, is what it sounds like. Well, no, so I think that my issue with uh, Hello Death Priest comes from the fact that you know, it's unlike in Magic. Where let's say, and, and this I know my mag, my magic knowledge is limited, but I know that if a opponent summons a creature that you don't like, you can unsummon it or cancel it or something like that, right? And nothing really exists in Elder Scrolls for that, right? So mm-hmm. for instance, I play um, L5R, and and my preferred deck is actually a controly mid range. Um, list that has um, access to cancels. And so I use those, you know, and it's one of those things that because because I can cancel something, I feel like, okay, it's fine if I, you know, if there's a card that's very powerful, then I can build and say, okay, I want to be able to counter it. So for instance, like something like Blackhand Messenger, right, which can has the potential to be quite annoying um, and also just overall a good card my example in the article actually was talking about how okay if if i am concerned about a black hand messenger i can put a steel scimitar on my creature so that it won't die from the black hand messenger right Um, sure but you know i and and most cards like the idea is like yeah i can't cancel a lightning bolt but i know that the lightning bolt only affects things in my hand or excuse me if only affects things that are on the board and therefore i can play around a lightning bolt um or I guess I can hit my face by healing my face, or I can play around it by uh, manipulating the board in such a way that a lightning bolt won't be as effective. Um, yeah. But there's no way to do that, like because there's no counter spell. There's no way to do that for the effect of Hallow Death Priest. Yeah, I mean you can discard the card. What do you mean? You so okay? Like you can play Gambler and discard the card, and then <laughs> you're and, certainly right. I, I but it's true I, that there are more limited ways to do that in Tessel than there are. In, I mean, so the like the most uh, the best way that somebody came up with to say, okay, I want to count, you know, counter Hell Death Priest is run more twelve drops. So that you can have a bait twelve drop in your hand. I mean, it's ludicrous. Like that. that, that well, they're still going to random. Like that kind, going to those dev, like uh, you know, going to those great lengths 
to try to counter a card that is so simple on the opponent's side to play, I think indicates a not optimally designed. I have played enough 2018 Scout Mirrors to tell you that uh, the Death Priest is not a fun, just not enjoyable gameplay for sure. Yeah, I mean, and, and and like there are plenty of feels bad cards when they get played, but I mean, like what stops me from what what makes me concerned of death over death priest is that ability that like there's not a great way to deal with it outside of going to these ridiculous lengths like we talked about. Yeah, there's Unlike, minimal oh, counterplay. Yeah, exactly right. And so like conscription right can be a very devastating card, and you know, in times when when Telvanni conscription was very powerful, everybody was calling for the nerf and very frustrated. And I you know I mean I I do kind of like that they made it harder, but the ultimate thing is it's a twelve cost. So by nature the counterplay is win before 12 right or have an ice storm you know what i mean like um so and that, that that's I, all differences there what i'm hearing is in my dominion deck where i was running gambler and kelgruntied i should have just been discarding my kelgruntied every <laughs> well, time i went up against a deck with purple in it well if you're playing dominion you don't have soul tears oh 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 Maybe. that's that's fair so don't discard. So don't start discarding. If you don't have a way to reanimate it, then probably not. Oh, okay. okay well, <laughs> see, you just start I, doing the uh, prayers to R and Jesus that uh, <laughs> that the death priest doesn't get drawn. Okay, or just yeah, or that you it, or that you don't draw your Calgary teed too early, which is more the way that it tends to happen. Is yeah, exactly. Yeah. Discard Calgary teed, run mud crab merchant in Parthenax in hopes of getting soul tear. To go, yeah, or, or, or Mudcrab Parthenax. Mudcrab right. generates Parthenax, which will generate Soul Tear. That's See, the way. Come on. Don't you know these counterplays, Mark? We are, I am noticing. <laughs> Let me just tell you one other thing about the meta right now. If you hit Legend and you're in the bottom of the meta, there are way too many people who are playing a deck that want to win by just annoying you by stealing all of your cards. That. <laughs> is not a fun way to play and if you're listening to this and you're the person who i gone up against several times who's playing that stupid cat thief who steals my card and gives me a fake idol and then keeps reanimating it over and over and over again even when there's better cards to reanimate you still reanimate that just to see how many of my cards you can steal i don't like you i don't like you as a player it's not fun to play against i hate it I wanted oh, to throw my, my iPad. So, it's interesting. So what, what do you not like about it? I do not like every two turns having uh, to play an idol to draw a card and <laughs> and then wondering which of my cards are in their hand and then wondering if the card that I'm really hoping to get to be able to pull through the game, he's hiding in his hand this entire time. Because in so, addition to that, he also played almost none of the cards that he stole from me. He just kept them in his hand, so I didn't know what they were. So is, is that because of the one-ofs in Tessel that you don't like that mechanic? Uh, like because of unique legendaries? Is I that think, why? I think he's less talking about the mechanic and more about the emotional state. Well, I don't know, <laughs> well I'm actually interested, like, but I'm, I'm trying to deny sex, you know, and we, can, we don't sure. need to if you don't want, but I'm trying no, to understand fine. from perspective of design, like, what is causing that negative emotion? Because... Oh, this- like if I look at it from like a from like a more competitive standpoint, like again, me sitting here is like not like not as much of a casual player. For me, I'm like, well, that's just worse on average than them drawing a card because the yeah. decks are designed so, such that like you know you want to draw the cards you put in your deck because they're you know put in your deck for a reason, and the cards your opponent are running are on average worse for you than the cards in your deck, so it's just worse than draw a card. Well, sure, I don't think he ultimately ended up winning the game. Um, the problem wasn't that he didn't ultimately end up winning the game. The problem was that the whole time he just spent trying to steal my cards and it was just annoying. 
the entire time. I mean, so something played, about the fact that it's your cards. Yeah, it's it's like it's it's my cards or it's my deck or it's like just um, uh, I think there there was like some element where it's just like I if you do win this game, I'm going to be furious, right? Like you have no right to win this game with this deck that you're playing because the deck that you're playing is garbage. But in a weird scenario, you might win this game because you stole the right card. And I was just like, I don't, I just like, like, I'm more like, so it's more like you're frustrated playing against decks that you know are suboptimal, but could still high roll you. Well, yeah. Suboptimal, annoying, quit playing blackmail over and over again. I mean, it was like even the rift and pickpocket that, that copies a card. He wasn't even stealing cards from me. He was just like, I'm just going to throw everything in this deck that copies cards from my opponent's deck and, and see if I can beat him. And, uh, just didn't, in, didn't enjoy it. Wasn't, wasn't a fun deck to play against. And the game took freaking forever. It lasted forever because the cards that he did play of mine were my control cards, which the rest of his deck <laughs> was full of. So not, not mm. only did he steal cards from me like every other turn for like 30 minutes, um, but he, but he also, it was just forever. The game just t- took forever. He's, I don't remember his name. I'd call so him out if I remembered his con- name. Control. <laughs> so control mirrors. You're not a fan. No, I mean, there are some control mirrors that I don't mind and they can be exhilarating and fun. This was just like, not not only are you probably going to lose this game, but you're going to waste 30 minutes of my time losing it. Um, and then if you do win, you're going to waste 30 minutes of my time and then beat me, um, which is also going to be infuriating. <laughs> oh, man. I'm sure he got a kick out. He probably loved it the whole time. It was probably one of the best games he's ever played. Um, he probably had a blast. Uh, it definitely... Definitely brought up some not great feelings in me. It's so funny that you you talk about the uh, the thief skills Shadowfoot. I think is the card, right? Yeah, could be it. Yeah. Uh, it's just so funny because um, at, whenever I go on a tirade about Death Priest, uh, my chat specifically a couple people uh, just perpetually like, yeah, and the same thing about thief skills Shadowfoot. <laughs> and I've never really had a big issue with the card, but yeah, you know, it's interesting. In my, in my mind, like. Like, um, my deck, and this has always been my my prevailing theory to stop myself from tilting about, like, top decking or, like, uh, anything like that. But my the theory is that it's, like, Schrodinger's deck, right? There's, like, no card exists until it's drawn. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like so in, th- in a very weird way, like, that card is still... How I contextualize it in my head, anyways. So I've never had as big of an, you know, of an issue with it. But I can certainly, like... <laughs> it, it, this isn't the first time I've heard of this. <laughs> a lot of people hate that card too, which is just uh, peculiar. Especially because, like, I feel I find that like the trade-off of the idol is sometimes, especially when I'm playing aggro, it's like, oh, please, please play Shadowfoot when I'm playing aggro or midrange. I'll break my rune and draw a card with this. Sure, you know, which is what I thought at first, and then it got played against me six times. At a certain point, if he plays, if he plays. Thieves Guild Shadowfoot thirty times. You, it's a, that's a win condition for him. Yeah, you're right. That I didn't even think of that. That's so. That's a, this is and as I was like, this is strayed so far from competitive talk. It's not even. Funny. Oh, that's like, okay. It's, like, I come to this podcast. What's wrong with these people? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Again, I think from a design perspective, it's interesting to try to understand like where this frustration comes from because yeah, I mean it's it's important in people's enjoyment of the game is the most important thing about the game so sure what people feel is 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 truth to them right that that's Mm -hmm. 
that's their perceived reality. Well, we do have a couple of questions in Zoe that came in, and I think they're really great position to ask you some of them and also ask you and DBN some of them. Um, we probably won't get through all of them, but the first one was from Laserjish, and I think it's really important. Um, he basically asked, how does it feel to have the second best hair in TRS? That was um, – he he voted you second second best. I didn't I didn't do that. Well, uh, laser has some pretty good hair. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to compete with that. My hair has fallen off a bit in the past year or so. I'm not really sure what's happening. Maybe anxiety or something. We'll we'll, well, we'll see if it gets healthier. <laughs> I tried to start a hair fight between two people and it it didn't didn't even work and and so didn't even take the bait. Um. So uh, another another question we question we have here. This will be for you and DBM. But why do you think it's important for a game like Tesla to have a competitive scene? Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. Um. And so I mean, I think for one, right? It it's in my experience, and obvi- and uh, albeit obviously, it's it's a biased perspective, but. You know, when players are more competitive, they inherently are going to get into the game at a deeper level, mm-hmm. and they're going to more thoroughly explore its mechanics and its card pool, and they're going to produce um, more substantial content that lasts longer. Um, from my experience, and again, I think that you know there are counterexamples as well, but I think a lot of times the games that are able to survive for many many years are games that. Um, have a strong competitive following because those are games that reward mastery. And whenever a game rewards mastery, it rewards dedication and longevity and commitment. Um, so when we look at games like Counter-Strike, like StarCraft, that have been around since the late 90s and are still alive and thriving today. Um, you know, it, those games would not exist without a competitive scene. It's, it's, you know, it's not a question. Um, I think that for card games, it's kind of a similar way. Um, you know, Magic was originally intended to be uh, a game for people at Gen Con to play between their D&D sessions um, and ended up mm-hmm. growing into this huge thing that it is today. Um, and I think that that longevity is in, lo- in large part sustained by the more competitive base. Um, I also think that people who produce content for games... Um, for an extended period of time, particularly for games that have a more con- competitive emphasis to them, which CCGs, I think, by nature tend to be, um, tend to be more competitive players. And I think that you need to s- have reasons for uh, personalities to exist in your game and to stick with the game and continue producing content for them and continue being relevant voices, because um, I think we all know that you know, people are very driven by streamers and YouTubers and, uh, you know, game reviews and all that stuff to to stick with games. And so I think that um, having a competitive scene creates uh, community pillars that the community can then build themselves around. Um, so while obviously there are games that have more, more casual scenes that are very successful, you can think of something like Minecraft. Um, I, I think that in general, at a more systemic level, competitive scenes provide a, a larger structure to a game, in addition to allowing the game to be better understood by the community and the developers, um, you know, as far as like game balance and that kind of thing, it, it, having strong competitive players is you know, crucial for that. And also just from a perspective of, again, like, uh, you know, if you are a more competitive player, the perspective of striving for mastery. Obviously, the more competitive incentive you have, the 
better people can understand your game. And I think from a position of perspective of design, if you're a designer who doesn't want your your game to be understood at the highest level possible, um, but and beyond all that, I think the the community structure that's provided by competitive play is extremely important, and mm. that alone, I think, is enough reason to support it. Mm. Now, DB, and not that I would want to be the person who had to follow that up, but um, why do you think it's important for there to be a competitive scene? <laughs> Sorry, if I was kind of rambling. No, you aren't that rambling. Was, was that was great. I was I was going to say tough act, uh, <clears throat> but. Um, so Endo just talked about like the kind of logical design element ways, and I'm going to try to approach it from a different angle, which is the kind of uh, emotional, uh, instinctual element, which, uh, as Endo knows through our coaching sessions, is my uh, blessing and my also curse. Um, I see a lot of things kind of – I do a lot of things uh, instinctually. I don't always think them through, Um you know, but I feel like I always try to like I observe well and form a basis for things. So my observation of this uh, actually comes predominantly from Dota 2. Um, so right now, no offense to anybody, but on the side, I have a tab open that I occasionally am checking because <laughs> I'm following the Dota 2 International, which is a once a year biggest tournament, like millions of dollars on the line. Uh, oh, my team cool. is playing. Good news. They just took the first game in the series. Uh, they're doing great. Very but good. um the thing is, when I started playing Dota, I had no concept of what was good and what was bad. And I also had no concept of how much should I care about this, right? Mm-hmm. And this is an important, sure. crucial thing, right? Because in a game, let's say like um, um, let's say like a like a single player RPG, right? Or or better yet, like a single player puzzle game, right? You solve the puzzles, you've completed the game, and you now have no reason to go back and do it again, right? The replayability is low. Now, by nature, competitive games are exceptionally replayable, right? Yes. You have other, you play them with other people. And first off, like humans have evolved to crave competition, uh, at least at a certain level. And some individuals are more competitive and others are less competitive. But humans crave competition. So obviously it's something that's in demand. But going back to Dota um, – I will. I am not, and will never be a pro Dota player. I will never be anywhere near that. But the concept in the back of that kernel, in the back of your head, that says, "Hey, maybe I can learn from these guys and mm-hmm. pull that, and maybe I could, I could be this person." That actually, that idea that I could be this person uh, gives you an appreciation for what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, it gives you an appreciation of the 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 massive amount of depth in a game. And I think depth and com- like competitiveness go hand in hand. If you have a game that isn't deep, you don't, you don't build a competitive scene around it. Like there's not enough there, you know, you, you need both. And for, again, from that emotional state as an individual who is, I, I treat some games very competitively, I treat some games very casually. When I sit down to watch a stream of, of elder Scrolls, and I don't, and you know, I don't mean for this. I'm not going to call anyone out or anything. But when I watch some people play, um, I I focus more on the person because I'm interested in who they are and what they're doing. Right. There are other people that I watch play that I take very careful of what they're playing. So when I Mm -hmm. watch Endo stream, I'm watching his moves. I'm watching the plays. Right. Because I think there's that that subconscious thing of I don't really want to waste time watching someone who's the same who could do the same thing as me there's no value there that's where people came from this idea of oh twitch why do people why do you want to watch someone play video games when you can play it yourself 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's important that there is value there, though. Like, again, I, I think that I think it's important to not um, discount uh, any way that people enjoy the game. I think ca- like the casual community is extremely important uh, for many games, Tesla included. Um, but I agree that a lot of the depth and the lo- longevity and the uh, real dedication um, and the loyalty comes from comes from a place of uh, of competitiveness even if it's not i think competitive pl- the way i look at it is i think compet- like from a marketing standpoint or like a business standpoint um i think the casual community is often the most important as far as short-term income is concerned but long-term income and financial capable uh, prospects per game are, are often rooted in the um the more competitive aspects mm. well and a, and a good a good competitive scene keeps a casual scene alive Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like, casual people like like I mean I in many ways as as connected as I am to the competitive scene, I kind of define a casual player, mm-hmm. right? In that like mm-hmm. I don't have the you know the I guess the drive or maybe the patience um to play a bunch of games on mid BM. I'll play some games on mid BM. I'll I'll learn it and enjoy it, but I'll never get to that same depth as anyone on the on the competitive team or anyone that, that consistently goes far in a tournament. And I may be a good player, but that doesn't that doesn't preclude the idea that I can't also be a casual player. But like me being a casual player, I can still feel connected to that competitive scene. I have mm-hmm. my favorite players. I also mm-hmm. have, you know, my favorite play styles. You know, I love watching uh, watching Karakon Jewel play. I love his play style. I love his deck choices. Like, I, he's one of my favorite players to watch in a tournament. I mean, that gives so much value. And also, it says, you know, the idea of, hey, like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, man, I really could use a deck. I can't seem to win right now. You know, let me go boot this deck up and, you know, get a get a little little jump on the ladder. I don't there's so much that like it bothers me when the competitive and the casual scene you know go at each other. Well, I don't it, think it really should that ever right, should they, happen. They're symbiotic. You need both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, before we we jump into that, I just want to I don't know, chime in maybe with something even from a, a slightly even different perspective, because from from my world, right, when I look at this, um, one of the things that's so central to the competitive scene for the casual for the casual player and the casual people getting into the game is that people by nature desire to worship. Like they they want to attribute value um, to, to people and to locations and to things. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and through the act of worship, people um, identify themselves and define themselves um, through other people, locations, and things. And so, like, for, for example, um, when I played League of Legends, I quit playing League, um, but I continued to follow the pro scene because I was a fanatic fan. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I I was I was loyal in, in some way to this logo and to this team because I'd followed them and I enjoyed watching them. I liked their coach. And and, and you know, when some of the players that I enjoyed left, I, I sort of became fans of them, but not necessarily their team because I was a, f- a fanatic fan and there's there's something about the competitive scene in a game that people become drawn to because they need that object right or they need that individual that thing that they can look to and they can identify themselves with like i'm a, i'm a fan of this team i'm a fan of this player i'm a fan of this play style and um, i think the competitive scene sort of gives you the the opportunity for that right now in the card game it's a little bit different because you don't have as clearly defined teams as you do in some of these you know 5v5s or 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 whatever um but i think that people need that element um whenever they come to a game like they need someone to look to they need someone to define themselves to this is the type of player that i am um and i think that gives 
people a sense of meaning, which ultimately people are searching for. Yeah, I think to kind of bounce off that, I think competitive scenes often give people a way to appreciate uh, higher level play without being like, you know, an analyst themselves. Mm. Um, because, you know, without that, if there if there is no one to look at, then the only way you're appreciating high level play really is by engaging in it yourself and getting to that level. And the, the reality is, I think often people aren't motivated to, you know, strive for that goal um, unless there is someone to look up to, unless there is, you know, yeah, something to to there there is something you're reaching for. Mm-hmm. Um, when there's when people feel like there's no hope or there's no um, there, yeah, there's no destination. They often won't follow a path. So if you want people to follow the path of your game, I think you have to give them a reason to walk it. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the relationship between the competitive and the and the casual, you know, um, player, like the, there is there's this symbiotic relationship between the two because the 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 competitive scene keeps the casual scene into the game. And but I tell you this much: um, Bethesda's not making money off of the competitive player. They don't oh, need to spend not. any money on the game. Um, it's it's the casual player that keeps the game alive and allows it to be profitable and allows the game to continue Absolutely. to be able to be produced and allows there to be a game that the competitive player can even experiment with or play in. Without the casual Absolutely. crowd, a Tessel goes away. There There isn't here. They're, they're not keeping Tessel around to lose money just so that people who are competitive have a card game to play. They're in it to make money. And if they're not making money, there won't be a game there at all to play. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And so both of those both of those things need to exist. I thought that this was another another really interesting question and, and maybe one we can chime in on. I know that we've been yeah. going for a while, but before we move on, I have one little thing I want to add to this before we end the casual oh, competitive thing. No, no, of course. Go ahead. Go ahead. One thing that I think a lot of people ignore and also maybe like, you know, get frustrated and maybe this is where some of the frustration is. Just cuz you're a casual player now, or a competitive player now doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, a bridge between the two. Mm-hmm. It, there, there are also players who are at some times or another, and I feel like myself included, uh, have gone back and forth between the two. You know, I, I consider myself much more casual now, but you know, um, when I've like my first, you know, three months streaming, I was trying to play in tournaments and I, and then actually I would argue, you know, I was much more in, in tune with the competitive side, um, and was playing a lot of meta decks and really focusing on laddering and, and doing well and stuff. When I was prepping for the master series and casting the, the qualifiers, I was like, I need to be on top of my stuff here as best I can. You know, you can, it's fluid. You're not set just cause you're casual. Now it's not an insult. It's just, you know, in, in, Frankly, the only person who's going to be able to decide that is is really you, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or I mean, I think the the classic thing here, right, is basically just that binaries don't really exist. Yeah, and Ex- so. expand expand on that for all of those hosts out there that don't understand what you just said. Um, so, well, I mean, binary just means something that is exclusively one way or the other, so zero or one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can define things that are not binary using uh you know combinations of true false however they're you know the reality particularly when you look at like something like a ccg is that there are really no absolutes um and it i mean sure like you can if you can you know brute force quantify something you can generally say okay play a is better than play b but um 
there's large spectrums of all these things. And so, it, it, again, for me, I, I think it's tough because people oftentimes, I know, like to identify themselves um, in a certain way, whether it's, um, you know, a gender expression, political party or religious affiliation, uh, you know, what, whatever. Um, and, and that can extend to, I think, here people can have a desire to say, ah, I am a casual player. This is my community. I am a competitive community player this is my community but the reality is that we all operate somewhere in an intermediary space and i don't like i think i think i think uh you know if you want to improve at anything the game included you need to stop uh putting limits on yourself as to you know a box that you think you fall into or other people fall into One of the key things I heard you say is is that the only absolute in a CCG is that Hollow Death Priest is a bad <laughs> card. Is all that's I that's think what I heard I, that as well. Is that is that uh, what okay. is that sure what you, sure that is, sure, okay. sure. We'll, we'll that was one of that. the one of the we'll, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. <laughs> there, I have so many great questions that I don't think we're even going to have time to get to. But um, one of the ones that I, I do think is really good and it's something that's intriguing to me is what do you think Tesla can do to continue to grow its market share in the CCG realm? Um, obviously, there's some competitors. We have Magic Gathering Arena, who's a big competitor. We have Hearthstone, a big competitor. We have Eternal competitor. Um, we have a, a couple, a couple of other, what Shadowverse, uh, Mythgard. There's a couple of other games out there too that are trying to, you know, stake out a, a part of this this territory. What can Tesla do to grow in this area? Well, I mean, first I would say I'm not an expert on this, so anything I'm going to say, take that with a grain of salt. Um, I think that when you look at the games in the current market, right, um, Hearthstone is clearly uh, in the... So Blizzard in general, with their games, um, tends to focus on removing negative play experiences rather than adding positive play experiences. Mm-hmm. So uh, like a... Um, i trying to remember what it is. Uh, Oh, yeah. So in, in design, like a common phrase is juice it or lose it, oil it or spoil it. And the idea with that is so it's like, you know, like uh, oil, oil and vinegar is a common salad dressing. And the idea is that you're balancing like the harsh acidity of vinegar that's adding something interesting and novel with oil, which can, uh, you know, reduce the, the, the negative impact or smooth it out for you. Um and I think that Tesla can operate somewhere in the middle where it's not quite as abrasive as something like Artifact was, mm-hmm. um, where I think like the baseline play experience to a, a new player is is still quite intuitive um, and uh, can be a smooth process while having some spice. Um, and I think that there you know, certainly is realm for it to expand there. Um, I'm on the record saying that I, I think that Magic's time is pretty much up. I think its value is largely because of history. Um, and I think it's kind of a shame. And I mean, obviously it makes sense from Wizards' perspective that, <laughs> that they want to keep their game alive. Um, but I think it's kind of a shame that Magic is pushing into the, the digital CCG realm because I think it's just kind of a fundamentally flawed game compared to most other CCGs in the market right now. Um, and without some changes to the core rule set, it's just never going to hold up, and I don't think they're ever going to do that. Um, so I think, you know, with the land system as it is and that kind of thing, I just don't see Magic as being a long-term competitor outside of its marketability. 
I know that they're making a lot of large publicity pushes on, you know, that they're going to have a show on Netflix and yada yada. So unfortunately, the game is probably around to stay, even though I personally believe it's more significant for its historical and historical value and its uh, study. I think it's more useful something to study than it is something to play personally. But that's my personal opinion. Um, hmm. I, view, I view Eternal in a similar way, where I think Eternal shares many of the fundamental flaws of Magic. So I don't really think it's a long-term competitor. I also think we've already seen uh, Direwolf Digital has had some level of incompetence in a number of areas um, related to Tesla, and that's why they no longer work on Tesla. And I think we've seen those issues with, with Eternal. I don't really see it going anywhere. Um, I think Mythgard is potential, but I think it's somewhat in the artifact realm of things. Um, where it's certainly, uh, you know, it punishes you extremely hard for any level of mistake you make. Um, you have extreme uh, levels of choice, but it's also something that if you're not super focused on it, like, you will just lose yourself games. Um, you kind of have to be fully present on it 100% of the time. So I, I think it could have issues picking up casual players. So to sum, summarize all this, basically, I think there is a hole in the market in the middle. And I think Tesla can absolutely try to exploit that. But I think it's going to require, like we've been talking about, um, you know, the more casual and competitive sides of the game meshing together well. And I think it needs to play to both of those strengths. Its strength, I think the strength of Tesla is that it is applicable to a wide variety of player bases. And I think it has an extremely strong balance of accessibility and depth. Um, it has... The depth, like depth, comparable with Mythcard and uh, accessibility comparable with Hearthstone, um, mm. and I think if it's able to really sell that point and leverage it, I mean, I think it's one of the be- best position games in the market were not for its unfortunate history. Yeah, so it really has kind of that uh, uh, easy to to grasp and incredibly difficult to master um, element to it. Uh, yeah, that for, many other games sort of play around with and they attempt to go to. But I think you're right. I think that they do that even better than I mean, coming from Hearthstone, coming from Magic Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon. I think that this game does that better than most of those other games where it in, in many other cases. It was like, yeah, this is easy to grasp, but I'm not really being rewarded for being a smarter or, yeah, or like more Pokemon experienced player. Like yeah, yeah. Right. Hearthstone's like that too. I mean, that was my most recent one. Like, I felt like when I switched from Hearthstone over to Tesla, I suddenly became much, much better just because of my long history of playing T- uh, TCGs or CCGs. And I, I, I was able to bring a lot more of that understanding of deck building and everything uh, to play, which has, has really benefited me significantly as a player in Tesla. For what it's worth, I do think people do tend to undersell Hearthstone's difficulty in some realm. I think Hearthstone is an incredibly difficult game, and if you wanted to play a game at the highest level, like it might be the hardest CCG to play at the highest level right now simply because of the competition that exists, the number of really well, top yes. players. Um, yeah, but they have I, a big prize pool. Exactly. Um, but I think that game does have considerable depth. Um, you know, I think it, but it lies large, largely in the card pools instead of the core mechanics, where I think Tesla is a it's incredible how much uh, the two-lane system adds depth depth to the game. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it continues to surprise me um, yeah. how complex it is, and it, you know, with how simple it seems, how complex even just that core core mechanic really is. Um, DBN, do you have anything to add to that about how um, Tesla can can strike out more more ground in the in the you know the market space? 
I, you know, <clears throat> the the tough truth to accept, I think, and I th- I think a lot of players always are saying, you know, oh, Tesla is going to be, you know, it's going to really take off soon. Tesla kind of lost its momentum. I mean, that's the reality. It had mm-hmm. a lot of momentum around Skyrim, you know, and even going into House of Morrowind, it, it, it was already sort of slowing down a, a touch. Uh, but, it, it, I mean, a lot of momentum was lost, especially because, like, people were – I mean, they were getting um, non-sponsored streams from, you know, people like um, Tice and Kriparian and stuff like that who were checking out the game and, like, considering moving over. Like, big names back in the day. Um, and it didn't really – it wasn't able to capitalize. I, I, cons- I compare this a lot of times to um, Apex Legends for anyone familiar with Battle Royales. Mm-hmm. Um, so Apex Legends uh, launched to – big fanfare and all the big Fortnite, you know streamers went over and tried it and played it and a lot of them loved it some of them stuck with it but you know most still kind of deviated back to Fortnite. and part of the reason why is um they weren't able to capitalize it they didn't pump enough resources into it early enough when they had that in that initial spark of interest um and they weren't the first and that's big right sure i mean hearthstone is so big because it was the first right However, I would also like recommend so like if we're talking about games that have had a rocky start and recovered, examples certainly exist, right? I mean, you can look at um, Elder Scrolls Online as a really mm-hmm. great example of that, um, because I mean they that launched and it was just in a terrible spot and people it hated it, good. right? And and now it's actually become a much bigger game than you know i think anyone but that bethesda could have expected after that really terrible start um so the path exists and i think that the way that you do that um is uh frankly keep putting resources into it so for example i think i think had they not you know done the master series i think that would have been a big like that would have been a huge indicator that it's on the way out right um you need to make sure that the players are playing it that are playing it now know that it's not going anywhere they're not going to spend money on it if they're worried the servers are going to shut down in a year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And then second, I think that the biggest thing that we're looking at when it comes to like keeping keeping things moving, uh, keeping the content flowing, which we've done. Check, right? Yes. I mean, yeah, the content's the content going. flowing, right? And then the last thing that you know we do okay about, Tesla does okay about, um, is constant communication. Now, that that's tough. I don't envy you know devs who you know whose job it is is to communicate Sparky pants has done an incredible job they have especially compared to direwolf digital you know um and so i i think that like there are plenty of times when like people are hey you know what about this what about that but you know it's not their job to respond to every little thing but keeping the information you know coming out at a regular base roadmaps are always helpful um sure so we know as long as they can see there's a future Right, and as long as that continues to be the trend, I actually have been saying this for a while. I think Tesla is on that, you know, upswing of being able to stabilize, not just stabilize at a smaller community, but stabilize at a much bigger and, yeah. you know, at least a and growing grow. community yeah. within the within the market that exists. In you're not going to be able to pull that that first person who says, "Oh man, I want to get into card games," you know, you're not going to be able to grab that person most of the time. They're going to go to Hearthstone first. But we can lasso them on their way out of Hearthstone, uh, and that's where we're going to pull our people in. Yeah, I mean, I think the you know the first thing you said is the most important. That's basically just the money talks um, and you know the resources that are put into 
marketing and tournament prize pools and that kind of thing will will pull people. Um, but I also one thing I, I want to add is that I think that um, once we start to pull like to pull some more interest and once there is a bit more resource and a bit more reason or once people are more aware that the game exists, uh, if we really want to get people to feel like they can get in the game and stick around, um, we're going to have to start figuring out some sort of constructed rotation format. Um, because I think one of the unfortunate things about Tesla is that um, because it's just been plodding along and recovering and going through a developer's switch for these past couple of years, and now it's finally like the, we've finally repaired the foundation and the game is in such a strong place and there's so much potential, but it still has this history. We have this extremely large card pool, and if you're a new player coming into the game, uh, the idea of trying to build enough of a collection to play, like, I, I can't imagine trying to start the game right now and yeah. get, a, you know, having a, trying to get to the point of having a lineup of, of decks for a tournament. It just seems like it would, I don't even know how many hours it would take. Um, so I, I think that once we're in a position where we really can start picking up some new players, we're going to need to start figuring out some rotation, some constructed rotation formats because the card pool is just too large at this point, I think for new players. And honestly, I think one of the things that could could bring in a new influx of players and a new influx of cash, and, and they need to be ready for it, is is something that doesn't even have to do with Tessel. It, it's going to be Elder Scrolls Six, um, when mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls sort of marches back on as being like the game that everyone's talking about. Um, you know, Skyrim had been out for years, and and when the Skyrim expansion released, it brought a lot of players over because oh, I love Skyrim. I'm going to go check that out. If they can do something in tandem with the release of Elder Scrolls Six, and they Which can bring they will. players, I'm sure they will, and they can say, "Hey, you love playing Elder Scrolls Six on your computer, your Xbox, your PlayStation, wherever you're playing it. Listen, just download this, and you can be playing with some of the same cards and the, the characters that you're experiencing in the game. You could be playing with those on cards um, in this game, and, and we're going to give you some stuff, you know, because you're making that jump over from from the game and in, into the card game. And uh, I think that they. If they're ready when Elder Scrolls Six comes out, they could really capitalize on that. It could create a big influx of cash flow for them, which would allow them to pour pour more into the game and hopefully more into the competitive scene. Um, yeah. I think for me, if there's anything that's evidence of, of that model, it's Gwent. Because um, for me, I feel like Gwent is almost more intimidating or abrasive for a casual player than the Artifact was. Um, the game is so kind of like pure math um, that it's amazing to me that it, honestly, as as a standalone game, it had much success at all. And I think that a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that people love The Witcher. Yeah, you know, uh-huh. and there are a lot of people who are willing to try something that like there is no way in hell they would have tried if it was a standalone game on Steam ever. <laughs> you know, um, that's interesting. Um, because I, I, I don't want to I don't disagree with that about Gwent that it is uh, kind of a difficult game to kind of pick up and find a reason to want to play. Well, yeah. I don't want to say that either. Um, so Gwent is I have a love for Gwent for a few reasons, and I, I think that you're right in that getting a casual or a first time CCG player into it is going to be nigh impossible. But yeah. I think that there's a lot to appreciate about Gwent for established gamers, people who've played a lot of board games or, or other mm-hmm. CCG players. Um, I mean, absolutely. they do a lot absolutely, like, beautifully. You know, I mean, I'm talking, uh, you, I assume you're familiar. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, Alex. 
Yeah. Um, the provision system is just a stroke of brilliance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is something that isn't represented in any other of these card games, at least as far as I know. Um, that that really just I mean, and I say this because my father and I play car have played card games my whole life. Um, and he played Hearthstone when I picked it up. I, I was like, hey, you gotta try this out. Like it's a card game, but it's on the computer. Whoa, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, I was like, he'd never played uh, Witcher. He probably never will, mm-hmm. right? But I said, hey, there's this game. It's called Gwent. You don't need to know anything about the lore. Just, like, give it a try because I think you'd find something that you'd really dig in here. Um, and, I mean, he plays more Gwent than I do at this mm. point. It's just, I mean, like, those. there's a lot in there to unpack. Um, I, yeah, I think you're right, though, for the for more, like... There's a space for that, you I think know? It's, I think you're right, and I think it's very different. And I think in some ways what, what Gwent, the market that Gwent is going after is very different than what a lot of CCGs do, I think, in a positive way. I think one of the big... From my perspective, I think a big issue in CCG play is that but it's, I think a lot of CCGs have tried to market themselves as esports. And mm-hmm. for me, I, I view the, the League of Legends Dota 2 CSGO player base as just being extremely different than sure than um, the CCG player base. And, you know, I definitely joked a lot about, um, you know, QuakeCon, we share production or share like uh, um, space with a lot of the, the Quake Quake players, and the culture is so incredibly different. It's like hard to even wrap your head around. Um, <laughs> and I, I think it's definitely true that in general, the market that we should be going after is yeah, a lot of these players who, you know, play like Euro games and that and that kind of thing. And I think going after a lot of the tabletop audience could make a lot of sense. Um, I, I'm not sure how large that market really is. And again, that's just because I, I don't have the knowledge in this environment to really know, but. Um, I, I do think that moving a little bit away from the like jock targeting and more towards the you know traditionally what people who would be like playing chess mm-hmm. type mm-hmm. of or you know type of targeting I think could make a lot of sense if it's able to be executed. Well, and the tabletop market is is enormous, enormous right now and growing. It's the fastest thing growing in the toy market. It's it's yeah. huge. As someone who's coming from, I mean that's Tabletopping is my primary form of gaming, and so yeah. um, it's it's big and it's growing really rapidly. I mean, we're at a tabletop renaissance right now. I mean, it it like more it's becoming one like more socially acceptable to be involved in you know um, board games and role playing games and stuff like that than ever before. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. Like oh, it's I mean perfect timing, man. I, I've always said two things. I said, man, I am in the right. Uh, as, as bad as it is, I am in the right century because when I uh, hit adult, early adulthood, uh, board games and tabletop games flourished, as did craft beers. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some truth in that. Um, I do want to begin wrapping up here. We had w- one more question for Endozoa um, that I think is just a really cool one. I want to make sure we get to it because we've asked all the questions from the same person. So I want to get to this one. Um, Lord uh Remen, R-E-M-A-N, would you? Remen, Remen? I think that's accurate. He says, something I was always wondering about Endozoa, being a longtime tournament player, does he feel like he's built up any friendly rivalries um, with any of the other players? Yeah, for sure. No, I definitely do. I definitely do. And like we were talking about Kara earlier, I, I think I really enjoy the matchup between me and Kara. We've played a number of times at tournaments over the past couple of years. And I think part of that's because of, we have a, 
you know, I think in some ways our, our play styles overlap, but in some ways they're very different. Like I like to describe Kara as more of like the drunken master type play where he's <laughs> extremely intuitive. And I, you know, I, I've definitely joked with him that like, you know, he just like doesn't think long on his turns. He like will very quickly make plays and, and he's so extremely good at the game and so intuitively strong at the game that he's often right. And oftentimes, you know, I'll go back and analyze a turn, like a line he took and come to the same conclusion he did, but it'll just be much slower because I'm more analytical. And so I think um, that matchup of more like the more pure intuitive play versus more analytical is interesting, even though obviously we both overlap where I, I also can be very intuitive. He can also be very analytical. Um, I think our strengths are different, and that's that's fun. Um, I think from a, another different different kind of playstyle angles that obviously I'm well, I don't know. Like I, in general, I tend to be a player who focuses a lot of, a lot on tempo. That doesn't mean that I don't play control decks, um, but just that I like to leverage board position and I like to leverage pressure. Um, and so I think the matchups that I can have against like um, hack me, but you know even similar players, um, whatever like person secrets that can just there aren't there aren't a ton of those big control players but yeah like you know hack me i need those kinds of people i think can be a lot of fun too just again because if, i think anytime you can have these differing play styles that you can match up in an interesting way is always a lot of fun um but i mean again i think in general i have a lot of respect for a lot of my peers and it's always fun to get to play high, high, at a high level um i think if warp meta didn't ex didn't exist over the past year i'm not sure you know, I'm not sure how I would have stayed with it because I think that the, the what Tesla has been for me has been that that you know once a week getting to play at the highest level with my peers and um, uh, you know just being able to bounce ideas off each other even if it's not in direct conversation but just in what lineups we submit um, is is something I really highly value and um, yeah it's all it's always fun to meet up with people so. That's awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get out of here. Um, uh, DBN, uh, can you tell people how they can get connected with you? If they want to get connected to your stream or uh, the content that you're putting out, how can people find you? Yeah, so I'm dead broke nerd across all the platforms. I mean, all of them. Well, no, that's not true. Uh, but um, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, which, by the way, guys, um, I am putting a renewed emphasis on my YouTube. I don't expect it to ever make me money, uh, but I am uh, putting out a couple videos a week, um, not just on Tesla, but also Hearthstone, um, a little bit of Gwent. Um, I've got uh, uh, one more, uh, Minion Master sometimes, which is more of a kind of a side uh, project for me, which it's just, I enjoy talking about it with some friends. Uh, but anyways, uh, so I do have that stuff going out. I've posted a couple videos this week so if you guys are interested you can check that out you can check out my experimentations with trying to make doom crag playable again we'll see how <laughs> I that, saw that i saw uh, that video yeah uh but uh and then of course yeah like i said twitch i also like one thing before we go um also oh sorry uh team team rank stars discord is a great place discord is a great place to find me in general but Team Rankstar's Discord is excellent. Um, yeah, you can, you can really touch is. with pretty much anyone you want. Um, but yeah, finally, uh, I want to personally endorse Endo as a coach. We didn't get to touch on this. I was was hoping we would. Um, but Endo mentioned earlier how he coaches. Um, and I can honestly say, like, I did, like, I think four or five sessions with Endo, at, like, through and leading up to and through the Master Series qualifiers. Um, I got better both as an understanding of 
the environment and particularly putting lineups together, which is something I, I still don't always can't always understand why people do that. But I'm much better at it now. And I also learned that I should put steel scimitars on things way earlier in the game, uh, which is really, <laughs> really important. Uh, so simple things that you, you won't know until somebody tells you and says, why the hell didn't you play that scimitar? You know, I won't make that mistake again. So uh, there's your endorsement. Uh, seriously, quite reasonable prices and really, really uh, good insight from one of the best players. Yeah, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your coaching and, and then also tell us how people can get connected to you and how they can get connected to your coaching. Um, yeah, thanks. Well, first, thank you for the shout out, Ian. That was really, really nice of you. Um, yeah, I mean, first off, hopefully I know I've been speaking in very broad terms and not getting too specific on this podcast. So sorry if it's been a little bit abstract i i do get um more specific in coaching um so don't be afraid hopefully i can be a little bit more approachable with um specific concepts um, oh it, it was a ton of fun i mean just yeah, dude, you're doing wasn't right. clear you're doing it's so fun uh working with endo um but yeah so i i like to you know i approach coaching on a number of levels i mean there's the pure gameplay level um, but I think a lot of what I like to, what I work on with people is you know, it's a lot of it's honestly can get a little bit more psychological where I think a lot of it's about um, being able to develop a growth mindset, um, working on pe- you know, people of like ladder anxiety. That's something we work on a lot, um, like how to be able to, um, you know, think about your long term improvement versus, you know, the short term, like whether what your goals are, whether you're just trying to you know, hit a certain ladder rank or whether you kind of want want to develop some more understanding or mastery long term. Uh, those kinds of things. So I do try to uh, uh, focus on the direction that an individual student wants to go. I'm open to different directions, open to different skill levels. I have coached people who are literally on hour three of the game. And I've coached, I, I mean, one of my best co- sessions ever was with Please Don't Hack Me, like four months before he won uh, that tournament in 2018. So I've, <laughs> I've coached uh, the full range of plays, so I wouldn't, don't be afraid. Um, about that no matter what level you're at um and um yeah i i enjoy it a lot too and i hope we can get something out of it yeah that's awesome man and there's really not i mean you're kind of like the the guy like there's not many people out there who are doing coaching for this game you're kind of like the guy the guy who's doing coaching yeah i mean there are to some extent, but it's more recently it's been more limited. I mean, I think historically Roman did some and, you know, Link does some from time to time. I think Warriors Leaves advertised it back in the day. I don't know how much he did, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm probably one of the most, not the most established coach currently in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So how can people get connected with you? How can, how can we find your content? I mean, you're, you stream on and off, you're doing, uh, articles, uh, you're in the competitive scene, um, you're coaching. How can people get connected with all that? Um, yeah, if you have any personal questions for me or you want to get in touch about coaching, uh, the easiest ways to do that are either on Twitch. Uh, my Twitch is twitch.tv slash endozoa. Um, so that's easy enough. Um, if you can find me on Discord in any of the many servers, uh, you can uh, send me a message there as well. I also have a Discord server, um, which you can find in my stream. You can just type exclamation point Discord and it'll give you a link. Um, so uh, those both work. Uh, as far as just other avenues, um, I'm on Twitter. I post there from time to time just about other games I'm playing beyond Tesla and also Tesla. Thoughts I'm having. 
um, ways I'm engaging with different games and just variety of other stuff. Um, my Twitter handle is at endozoite, so that's Z-O-I-T-E. Zo was taken. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so Twitch, Endozoa, uh, Discord, you, you'll find me as Endozoa, or TRS Endozoa. Um, I think that's it. I'm, trying, okay. I'm probably missing something, but that's, yeah. Well, we'd be able to find you. I yeah, mean, it, Twitter, it, it Twitch, Discord, like Discord are, the, the are, the main, are the main things, yeah. Yeah. And if you're looking to get connected with the show, um, you can't find me on social media, but you can email us at our email, eslegendscast at gmail.com. That's eslegendscast at gmail.com. You can friend request me on the game if you want. Um, my uh, my name is the 113th lift. That's the 113 lift. So you can find me on there if you want to show me a, throw me a friend request on Tessel. Um, we also have a Discord now um, that's been set up by Beefquake. And so you can find us um, on Discord as well. And it's not hard to find. It's all the places that you can find stuff um from from team rank star and our stuff from team rank star our discord's on there and finally um i outside of this i'm a pastor and my heart is to support this community and so the internet can be a dark um and lonesome and depressing place um it can be a really great place with some great community but can be a really difficult place as well and so i'm here to support the the community of elder schools legends both in in prayer and in listening so if you're going through a dark time i just want you to know that you're not alone and i'm here for you i'm here to listen to you and i'm here to pray for you so if you ever have a prayer request or something that's going on in your life or you just need someone to jump on discord and listen to you you can always shoot me a message at eslegendscast at gmail.com or jump in our discord and shoot me a message on there um i would love to just be there for you and support you um because it's a uh, part of my heart for this community um that's all the best ways to to get connected to me um a dbn or endos ode the guys have any final thoughts before we depart uh just thanks for having me on again um and uh yeah besides that I, I mean, one last time, uh, Indo is a really good coach. And, uh, it, I mean, you, you may not, you may say, well, what can I learn? There's always something. I mean, that's something that I think he said first time we, we sat down. He's like, oh, man, I suck at this game. And I was like, what are you talking about? You're amazing. And he's like, well, you know, nobody can really be perfect at this game. There's too much to know. And I'm like, oh, that, that's really, that's really wise. So, bam. Well, I'll appreciate the shout out again. Um, thank you, Ian. And thank you, Mark, again, for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. It was a lot of fun to get to talk to you guys. Um, yeah. Some good people. So I appreciate the company. Yeah. Hey, thanks for coming on the show. And, uh, and, and DBN, once again, thank you so much. Make sure you go out there and check these dudes out. And also, very importantly, we're all involved with TRS. So make sure you go to TeamRankStar.com. Check out their content there. Check out Ink Gaming as well. Use that code TRS12 to get 12% off your next piece of customized gaming gear. Um, a really great thing because even if you're a tabletop gamer, you can get some really sick stuff over at Ink Gaming. Um, also- that's an Oh, go ahead. We're, we're doing a, a giveaway for there's uh there's five twenty five dollar inked uh co- codes you can get and there's also five twenty five dollar acquire codes you can get uh, if you go over to the TRS website you should be able to find that also a lot of us have posted it on Twitter so uh go okay. click on that thing and get yourself signed up for some free stuff yeah 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 get into those oh. giveaways also also. Uh, yes. Uh, there is a TRS Open tournament on on oh, yeah. Saturday. Uh, oh, yeah, nice. that, I, was like, I feel like uh, FLA would have been so mad if I'd forgotten yeah, that's important. that. <laughs> $150 and something like 150 packs and prize support. So yeah, I mean it's it's pretty big. I mean, if you want $150 in your wallet, you can sign up and then beat Endo if you can. Uh, good luck. 
but <laughs> the upside is maybe it'll get casted by me and also Ian Bits. We have the the double Ian action going on on Saturday. I believe it starts awesome. at three Eastern Standard Time, so you can watch it on. Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so make sure you check out um, TRS's uh, Tesla tournament this upcoming weekend. This episode will come out on Friday morning. So, hey, tomorrow, um, check out that uh, check out that Tesla tournament action. That's going to do it for us here at Legends Cast for episode number 11. Thank you so much for coming out and listening to us, and we will catch you here next episode. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of Elder Scrolls Legends. If you want to support Legends Cast, you can always leave us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts, or you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash legendscast. Be sure to come back next week and make sure that you check out our sponsor, both Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar at teamrankstar.com.